Turn in your Bible to the book of Mark, the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9. There's a scripture in the Bible that describes you and your child. There was a problem. There was a dad that had a son that had a problem. And he tried to figure out how to solve the problem, so he went to see the disciples. And they could not solve the problem. You'll find out there's a lot of people that can't solve all of your problems. And sometimes you just have to go to the Lord. It says here in verse 14, Mark chapter 9. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? In other words, uh, the disciples evidently then got themselves in a, a jam or in a tight spot, and the multitude was asking them questions, and Jesus comes and he says, you, got, you want to know something, why don't, why don't you just ask me? But they were asking the disciples. So in verse uh, 17, and one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have a problem. I brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. Now, some of y'all might relate to that if you have a son. You say, I have a son and he's dumb. Sometimes we think they're pretty dumb. So the title of tonight's message is The Smart Man with a Dumb Son. Now, the, the smart dad did the right thing. His son had a problem, so he wanted to try to get it solved. And all of us, believe it or not, have problems. And uh, sometimes the only one that can be the solution to the problem is, is the Lord himself. So he says there in verse 18, And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? And you all that underline these four words, bring him unto me. Now, everybody has a problem. It might not be that you have a dumb spirit living inside of you, but who knows how many demon-possessed people there are. There was an awful lot in the days of Christ. I've had people tell experiences. I've never worried about being demon-possessed because I believe that when I trusted Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within me, and greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world, and there's no room for Him. So I don't worry about that. And I believe the greatest thing is not going all over and casting out devils, just leading to Christ. If you lead a person to the Lord, you don't have to worry about that. But there is a thing about being demon-oppressed. You can become so oppressed not possessed, but oppressed, just with the pressures. As it says in the book of uh, Peter about Lot, who vexed his righteous soul from day unto day with the unlawful deeds of the wicked because of what he saw and what he heard. So you can vex your righteous soul and the pressures, the things you think, your imagination, how it can run wild with you, all kinds of things that can take place. And I believe the old devil can not read your thought, but he 
interjects thoughts into your mind can give you things. Like Jesus said to Peter, he says, Satan hath put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, if you remember. And he told Peter, get behind me, Satan, because what he was saying, and he didn't know it was Satan. All he knew was he was just, probably thought he was, he thought of it all by himself. So there's a lot of things that we don't know because of the spiritual realm that we cannot see. We're told about it, we're warned about it, but there is a, a few things that we should all know, the symptoms, the symptoms. And so we look at the symptoms of the human race, and you think, is there any cure for the human race? I often wonder if there's any cure for America. When you see all the things that's going on and how wicked people are, and it seems like everybody's just so greedy. And the only reason they want to get into power is so they can get something. Uh, you know, it's for their own glory. And you think, does anybody really care about people and helping people? And a lot of people don't mind helping people with somebody else's money. That, you know, they take it from them and they give it to these. And they think, oh, I'm doing such a wonderful, good job. I took all the money from those people who had more than they needed, and I gave it to Yeah, but who wants you to do that? But there's people that believe that that is their calling in life. But one of the symptoms is, is there, there is a loss of direction. See, people have lost direction. The Bible says it's not within man that walketh to determine his steps, to guide himself. And so, therefore, that's why we need the Lord to cast our cares upon him, to lean upon him. He will direct our paths. And so today it's like people have no shepherd. And those who follow somebody, well, they, the ones they follow don't know where they're going. And the blind lead the blind. They both fall into the ditch. We're watching people here in America destroying America. You can see it by the decisions that they make. It reveals their philosophy of life, their philosophy of government. It reveals who their God is, what they think is right or wrong, if there is such a thing. And so, therefore, we are able to see consequences of people's ill-advised decisions. And I remember a man standing up and says, change is coming to America. Well, like one person says, we'll keep our religion and we'll keep our guns and you can keep the change. I just heard that recently. But yes, it's, it's bad. But look what he says down here. In verse 20, And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. He asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? He says, Of a child. Now remember, our problem doesn't start when we become adults. Our problem starts when we were a child. When we were born with an old sinful nature, we were born without a GPS. And the other thing is, is the file emission from the voice of man. When you listen to some of the vulgar talk of people. Now, I, I'm not I don't, I'm saying this, but I've never sworn a cuss word in my life. I don't see why anybody has to. But I really don't like to be around people who use profanity, who are always swearing about something and asking God of heaven to damn something or somebody. I just don't think it's necessary. And if you really thought it through, it doesn't make good sense. I guess it just shows that they have a lack of vocabulary. They don't have enough words to, to really articulate what they want to say. And um, some people forget their 
origin. They have amnesia. They can't remember. In spite of everything, if you could teach a dog to talk and to walk on his hind legs and to wiggle his ears and to jump on the top of a ball and bounce around, if you could teach a dog to do all of those things, when you have the most educated dog, the most intellectual dog, you still have got only a dog. It's still just a dog. When you take a man, I don't care what kind of a man and how much he learns and how much skills he has and what he has developed and what he knows and all that, he's still just a man. You don't make a God out of a man. You don't worship a man. You don't make a man an idol. The Hollywood stars and the rock bands, those are not our gods and they should not be. But there's a lot of children that grow up and that becomes their gods. And they want to be like them and they do whatever they say do and... They go on to drugs, they want drugs and whatever. It's just, that's the way it is. But he makes a statement down here. How long? Since a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. And if thou canst do anything, if. Does the word if give you the connotation this man has a lot of faith? Or is there any questions and doubts in his mind? See, later on he says, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. In other words, I want to believe. But I've got questions and I've got doubts. A lot of times I've led people to the Lord because they said, you know, I want to believe it. I want to trust the Lord. But I've got questions and doubts. I said, trust the Lord with the questions and doubts. No man has ever lived long enough to get all the answers that satisfies all of his questions and doubts. But go ahead and trust Christ as your Savior and then trust the Lord to give you the answers to those other things as you go through life. At least you took care of this. So trust the Lord the best you know how, the best that you can, even though you don't fully understand everything. When I got saved, I didn't understand everything. All I knew is that I'm lost and he's the Savior and if I trust him, I'll go to heaven. So I trusted Christ as my Savior. But look what he says in verse 17. He says, but whatever you can do, Lord, have compassion on us and help us. Now, he's a dad, but he's bringing his son to the Lord. And when he asked for help, it was because he also needed compassion. Did you know whenever you have a child and something's wrong, you hurt? And you hurt probably more than the kid does. Because, you see, the more you love somebody, the more it hurts you. So he said, have compassion, not just on the kid that needs the help, but compassion on both of us. Help us. Because the daddy evidently was at his wit's end. He didn't have nobody else to turn to. He'd already done tried everything and everybody, but Christ says, bring them to me. So he makes a statement here in verse 24. And straightway, the father of the child cried out and said, with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people come running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. See, maybe a lot of other people would have never known the source of his real problem. And sometimes there's demonic powers that we know nothing about. And that's why we should always be careful before we just prejudge that somebody is just purposely mean and ugly because they just don't like you. And there might be another reason that lies behind that we cannot see. There is a spiritual battle that goes on. 
I, I just believe in just trying to get people to the Lord and get them to see and understand and trust Christ as Savior. I have listened to missionaries. I've listened to Ray Stanford. I've listened to Reverend Miller, who used to teach at FBC. I've heard Dr. Seymour talk about the times when they were called at the college and asked if they would come down to this warehouse because somebody got a job at a warehouse and there were strange things going on. And so they didn't want to go, but they thought they'd just ask if a couple of the teachers could go down. And so these are two of the heavies. Dr. Miller, who had been a missionary in Ecuador and also down in Cuba, that's where Ray Stanford had met him. And um, they had gotten thousands and thousands of tracks, and they covered the island of Cuba right before Castro took over. And that's where they met him. And he came to college and became our missions teacher. And I was the president of the first missions class. But him and Dr. Seymour, who is skeptical about everything, there is no better skeptic than Dr. Seymour. And the guy was a great teacher, a great Bible teacher. And he could, he could, he could take you and, and strip your mind of everything that you really believed in <laughs> and fill it with questions and doubts. But he'd always come back around and restore everything. But he was, he was just good. They called up and they said, we have a, a warehouse that's haunted. And here's two of the kingpins of Florida Bible College going to check it out. So they went to the warehouse, and they were looking and seeing if they could see anything or hear anything strange or going on, you know. Reverend Miller was walking down, and Dr. Seymour was behind him. And all of a sudden, this box comes off of a shelf and started following <laughs> right behind Reverend Miller. And Reverend Miller didn't know it. But the other guy was standing there watching it come off the shelf and following him down the aisle. And he says, Reverend Miller. And Reverend Miller turned around. The box turned upside down and everything in it fell out and broke on the floor. It was interesting to listen to him tell the story. Because if there is a skeptic, it's him. He says, I don't know how to explain it, but I saw it. Ray Stanford tells the story about when he went down into uh, South America. Him and Dr. Cameron, the other two heavies. And there was this woman that was outside and she evidently was demon possessed. And this woman was saying all kinds of things, ugly things, warning against the Dr. Stanford and so forth. And, and Ray did nothing more than just got up to her. And started talking to her about how God loves her. She trusted Christ as Savior. And she'd been like that for years. And all of a sudden she was just as calm and cool. And everything was fine. And Ray just, had just led her to the Lord. So there's more that goes on than what you and I know. But one thing that God does teach against is sitting around your table. Snapping your toes. Or your fingers and holding hands and trying to conjure up the dead. Stay away from mediums. You know what a jolly fortune teller is. It's a happy medium. <laughs> but you stay away from them. And God says it's an abomination to seek for the living among the dead. By asking the dead to conjure up your aunt or your uncle or somebody's dead that you want. There's more to it than meets the eye. God says just stay away from it. If you want to know things 
You just study God's word and you know all about the future you need to know right here. Outside of this, you don't need to know what's going to happen tomorrow. And if you did know, you'd probably kill yourself today. So you don't need to know. So anyway, he goes through here and he says, in verse 26, The Spirit cried, rent him sore, came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, saying, Why could not we cast him out? He said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now, I don't understand everything about this. I, I don't need to know. All I know is that sometimes nobody can do anything except bring them to Jesus. I believe that's the biggest cure that we can have for anybody. And the symptoms of the old human nature, the sinful nature that we have, that is our problem with everybody born as a child. And as we live, it expresses itself more and more. And one of those, of course, is a person who has such lack of peace and lack of joy. When there's no peace and there's no joy, you know something's wrong in your life spiritually. When you have lost direction, whether you're saved or whether you're lost, there's something wrong spiritually. If you know the Lord, it means that there's something that's clogging up the channel, the, the, the blessings of God coming to you. It could be sin in your life or whatever. I don't know. But I always want to seek to try to think the way God wants me to think and, and live and so forth the, God's way. There's also a selfish or violent behavior. Selfish or violent behavior. That sometimes out of the clear blue sky, somebody can be so sweet and nice and kind can become so violent just that fast. Now, there is a possibility that there's other things in the works that you can't see and understand. But God wants us as his children to realize it. There's more than what meets the eye. That's what the word Proverbs is about. Pro and verbum mean more than meets the eye. You read it and there's more there than what you just see on the surface. So understand that the old sinful nature is selfish. The old sinful nature is rebellious. The old sinful nature worships and it's idolatry because it is as the sin of witchcraft. And it leads to the rebellion that you have against God or anybody. It can be the husband against the wife, the wife against the husband, the kids against the parents, parents against kids. Everybody has within them that nature of rebellion. And we got it as a child. And it becomes more evident the older we get. When the kids are real small, it's not as evident. Well, it, when they're twos and threes, it is. And then they get a little bit older, and then when they become teenagers, buddy, it becomes full-blown. And then sometimes adults never get it under control, and they live out of control all their life. Now, there's only one thing that can help any of us at any given stage, and that's the Lord. You'd be surprised how everyone in this room would be if it wasn't for the Lord. How ugly you would really be. Just think, you are under spirit control. And how are you doing? And it doesn't take much to make us lose it. To get so angry, so bitter, so quick. To become so discouraged and so depressed. 
so out of joy, so out of peace, and it can happen so quickly. That's why there's so many that live a life of fearfulness. They're afraid of the future. They're afraid of tomorrow. Some are afraid to go to sleep at night. Some are afraid because of the Obamacare. I don't care. Some are afraid because of the IRS, what's going on in government. You can live your whole life in fear. But it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear produces torment. And when you don't have your total trust in the Lord, fear will take over the control of your life. And fear is an emotional quality, just like love is. When you're filled with love, there's a different expression about yourself, a different attitude, a different outlook. And when fear is controlling you, it turns into bitterness and the anger and all of that because there's fear, afraid of something. And that something can be different for different people. Sometimes you have to figure out what's causing it. Most people are like Mercedes, but they have a broken piece that's not working right, and so they're running like a broken down Volkswagen. You don't want to junk the whole car. You just try to find out what part is broken. If I can fix that one little part, if I can find out what it is. And just like the Lord talks about, you know, knock, it shall be open. Seek, and you shall find. Ask, and you shall receive. It means continually. But it's not just for things that you want. It can also be what you see that needs to be done in the lives of those you love. Do you keep seeking for a way, an opportunity, how to solve this problem, how to get them to see something? And you pray and you trust the Lord to open up the door at the right time because you believe. And you may at times in your life do just like this man did. Lord, I believe. Lord, help thou mine unbelief. Because I don't have full confidence. Therefore, I'm not as bold as I ought to be. Fear can destroy your life. It is a success crusher. Now, there are a few things that Christ says, you know, bring them to me. And he made the statement that this would be done in verse 25, the last part of it. Come out of him and enter no more into him. Never again. Never again. You'll never do it again. You know, in the book of Genesis in chapter 9, after the Lord had destroyed the earth by water. He made a promise to Noah. He said, never again. He said, I'm not going to do this again. Now, I don't know why. If they needed to be zapped, he said, I'll never do it again. And then he gave us a rainbow as a promise that when we see the rainbow, we can believe the promise of God. God says, uh, that's the evidence of my word being given. Uh, this is my promise that I made. So there's some things that God says that's uh, never again. I, I want you to think about what I'm saying here now. As you go through the history of mankind, God made a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. They lived, they sinned, they were cast out of the garden, and they died. That event, that event, will never take place again. They had one chance to get it right, <laughs> and they got it wrong. One opportunity, one command, 
and they blew it. They can't say like we do when we play golf. I want a mulligan. Anybody know what a mulligan is? What is a mulligan, Herman? You get to do it over without costing you anything. It didn't count. But some things you can't do over. Some things are irreversible. Some things you can correct. Some things you can forgive and everything will be fine. Some things you can forgive and it will never be the same. Never be the same again. There was a man named Moses. You know, there'll never be another Moses. There'll never be another man that God says, Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, one is, they're not down there anymore. He will never have to part the Red Sea again. It happened one time, one event, and then it's gone. There's only one man like Abraham that God called and says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Only one man. He was already an old man and he only had one chance. He only had one son that God could have used. He says it can't be Ishmael, it's got to be Isaac. Because God had a plan. That event will never take place again. Or when you read about Joseph, there'll never be another Joseph. Joseph was a man who lived and went from the pit the prison, and then to the, a Pharaoh. Next to Pharaoh, and then look how God used him. And yet it was God that sent him there. God produced the famine that caused his family of 70 to go down into Egypt. Well, what if God hadn't have done it? See, God had a plan. And God was just sending somebody in advance. God knew what he was doing. And he doesn't ask our approval. But that happened one time in history. It'll never be repeated. The flood will never be repeated. It'll never happen again. We hear about Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Did you know it was God who allowed that scenario to take place? Daniel in the lion's den was, I believe, in the long run, because God permitted, this is God's idea. Daniel hadn't done anything wrong. But God permitted people that were bad to do these bad things to him. But God used it for his honor and glory. How many little kids have heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den? But what if God hadn't let that happen? There would have been no story. There would have never been the story about David and Goliath. You know, he didn't kill a Goliath every day of his life. One time he killed a bear. One time he killed a lion with his bare hands. And he killed Goliath. He had a few brothers and took care of that too later. But you see, those are one-time events that took place. That'll never happen again. So yes, there'll never be another Moses, never be another Joseph, never be another Daniel, never be another Job. There'll never be another you. Think about it. There'll never be another you. You are different and you are unique from all the other people on planet Earth. Nobody is quite like you. You got one chance. You're not going to get another chance. God has given you and I the opportunity at this time in history for us to live. Moses isn't here. Daniel isn't here. 
The disciples of Christ, they're not here. They're, none of them are here. We're here. And we can be as great for God as we choose to be. You can dedicate yourself to the Lord as much as you want. And nobody can stop you. You can be as great in the eyes of God as you choose to be. And nobody can stop you. That's what's so neat about the Lord. There are choices that God gave to us. And every one of these things, every individual had choices to make. Adam and Eve had choices to make. Abraham had a choice to make. Obey or disobey. If you read 11th chapter of Hebrews, it says, And Abraham obeyed. Came to the flood. Noah had a choice. He could have disobeyed. Every one of them could have obeyed or disobeyed. Moses could have obeyed or disobeyed. Everybody has choices. You say, well, God never uses me. How have you been making your decisions so far? See, sometimes your big victories is because you've had some past successful little victories. Are you having successful little victories in your life? Or do you let the lust of the flesh control your decisions? Or do you yield to the Lord and you got victory there and you got victory there and you got some more victory? You know, the Lord will trust you with more and more and more if you're faithful in those little bitty things. He that is faithful in that which is little shall be faithful in that which is much. How are you doing? What do you want out of life? So I wrote down that little word that to me was the biggest word of all is the word you. You and me. It's our turn. We're here. Now, God didn't ask us to build a boat. He didn't ask any of us to go down into Egypt and say, let my people go. He didn't ask us to go into the lion's den. I talked to a lot of Christians. They say, I'm willing to die for the Lord. If you won't live for him, you won't die for him. God says he wants us to yield our bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sac Sacrifice yourself for him while you are yet alive. That means there's a lot of things you want to do, want to be, maybe want to go, but you sacrifice that for whatever it is God wants for you. Then you're beginning to live. Really live. To learn to live by faith. You know, when Jesus came into this world, he was born in a little town called Bethlehem. Out of all these years on planet Earth, that's only happened one time. God came and visited the earth. A body hast thou prepared me. Born of a virgin. It only happened once, but it'll never happen again. When Christ came into the world and died on the cross to pay for all the sins of the world, according to Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, he'll never do it again. There's a lot of things that have happened in my life, I swear, I'll never do that again. When I lost my cell phone the second time, I said, I'll never do that again. Well, so much for that. Maybe the next time I'll never do that again. Have you ever said you're not going to do something and you do it? And it's the wrong thing. You didn't want to do it? Or sometimes you say, I'm going to dedicate my life to the Lord. 
And then after about a year or so, I think I'm going to rededicate my dedicated life that I dedicated two years ago. And I now really mean it. I'm going to really dedicate my life to the Lord. With some Christians, I think their dedicator has died. You have got to make up your mind. I'm God's child. One trip through life. No reruns. What is it that God wants me to do? And you know when you study about some of these guys' life, God doesn't put all the things that happened in their life in the Word of God. There's only just certain little highlights. It's like God wanted this experience to put into His Word, and He wanted this man to do this and take that experience and put it into His Word. And God has, and yet they lived all those years for one event. Sometimes you might feel like, I have lived my life for 50 years, and I don't know what it is for yet. And there may be one thing that God has really wanted out of your life, and you blew it. You missed it. Because you were not faithful, God had to put you on a shelf. And there you've sat for year after year after year. If I thought for a moment that I was sitting on the shelf and not being used, I would bust into tears and fall on my knees and ask God, what's wrong in my life that you can't use me? Because if there's anything that I would want more than anything else in the world, I want to be used by God. Because this is the only time in the whole, my whole life, I don't have any other time. This is my lifetime. As we talked about this morning, when Abraham said, son, remember that in thy lifetime. Thy lifetime. Decisions to be made in your lifetime. So I want to make the best decision that I possibly can. The rapture is going to take place one of these days, but it'll only happen once. The tribulation period is coming, yet it's going to happen one time. The Bible says there'll be no time like that period of time as far as how bad it's going to be. The judgment seat of Christ is coming, and it'll only happen once. And when it does happen, we're going to be there. And when we get there, you're going to be given account to God for what you did in your lifetime. How's it looking if God was to call you today? I know sometimes people think, well, I intend to do more for the Lord, but right now I, I got things I want to do that are more important to me. And don't understand that your very life is in His hands. Whether you live or die is in His hands. If there's anything I would not want to do is make God mad. To make God angry with me. When I know that he has the potential of doing whatever to me. Like I've said before, as a child of God. We can choose whatever avenue we want to rebel against God in. And God is free to produce whatever chastisement in our life he chooses to bring. So we're free to rebel, and he is free to choose the payment process. Will the let us live or the let us die? You'd be surprised how close God comes in warning us. I've had so many warnings over the years. I am so fortunate that I am even alive. I could, I could spend two or three sermons just telling you of close incidences in my life 
that I am alive only by the grace of God. I've come so close. And I thought, what if I had died? What if I had died? God could have taken my life. I have done nothing for him to spare me. I do not deserve to live. But that's by the grace of God. And because of God's grace, as Paul says, His grace was not bestowed upon me in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. I don't want God's grace of life that He's bestowed upon me, the privilege to live, to be all in vain, to waste my life, to throw it away. Yes, God had used all these great men that we talk about, the heroes of faith, Now it's our turn. Now it's you. And you are going to be tested, sometimes beyond measure, where it doesn't seem like life is worth living, like you might want to just check out. If God is the one who granted me life, let God be the one to grant me death at his time and his choosing. But I should just be faithful to the Lord because I believe in studying the book, when I get to heaven, it is will be worth it all. It'll be worth it all. Look up here. Letting this hand represent you and me, and the wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. All of us have got the same symptoms of sin. We're all naturally rebellious. We want our own way. We want to do our own thing. And we love money, and we love fame, and popularity, and glory, and all those things. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants to be well-known, everybody wants to be loved, and everybody wants to love. That's the way we are. And those things under control can be great, because God tells us when we get to heaven, He'll give us praise and honor and glory, and that we'll walk on streets of gold and have walls of jasper and gates of pearl. And we do desire to live forever, and He has all of that waiting for us. But while we're here, God says, you can't make it happen. You can't make it happen. You can't, by the will of the mind, extend your life if God says, I'm taking it today. Remember the story in Luke when he says, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Your soul is required. You have an appointment, and you and I are going to keep it. But God loves us. He hates our sin. And everyone is a sinner, but God loves sinners. That's the only kind of people there are. We're all in the same boat. And God says because he loves us and hates our sin, the sin has to be paid for. Well, since we did it, we owe the debt. And that's eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us and wants us to go to heaven. He wants us to have everything that we down here desire. It's just we have to get it his way and not our way. If we could just be patient There isn't anyone in the world that wants you to have more happiness than God, more peace than God, more joy than God Himself. There isn't anything you and I can desire in this world that God doesn't want better for us. But He said, I'll give it to you when you come home. While you're here, you may have to endure some hard things, some suffering. But trust me, He says, just trust me. How's your faith? Lord, I believe. Lord, help thou mine unbelief. You see, God says you can't save yourself by any good deeds that we do. 
We need a Savior. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because He loves us but hates our sin. You see, our sin separates us from the Lord. So the Bible says Christ took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. So that if we would believe that He did it for us, He would put that payment to our account. We go to heaven on what He did. You see, we didn't do this. He did it. So I give the credit to the Lord. He's the one that deserves the honor, the credit, the glory for what he's done for you and I. We go to heaven and get to enjoy all that he has, and we didn't do anything to deserve it. All that is because God loves us. And he has demonstrated his love for us in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us while we were yet sinners. Now, he did not take us home the day we trusted the Lord. He left us here in these old sinful bodies with these same desires that we've always had. But he says, I want to give you something better. I want you to know what I desire for you. So I have my desires, and then there's the desires that God has. And I have the power of choice. If I was in the Garden of Eden, and there's that fruit hanging there, and I have a choice to make. Have you ever blamed Adam for choosing to eat the fruit? You're doing the same thing. You're making the same decision. Obey or disobey. Believe or not believe. And you see, if you will believe what he says, and you accept him as your Savior, you have eternal life. And as a child of God... God says, I want you to yield your will to my will. It's a choice. And the older we get, we're running out of time. I used to think when I was 18, when my father-in-law laid me in the Lord, I'll live forever. I don't really believe that anymore. Not down here. Never thought I was going to live this long. But I have enjoyed the life that I've lived. I believe God has kept his word. He has given to me the desires of my heart. I want to serve him. I want to be found faithful. I want to be able to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because when we've done what God's asked us to do, we have only done that which was required of us anyway. And he gets the credit for all that he's done for us and given us the privilege, the opportunity, this side of eternity to serve him. So if things aren't going your way, so what? When Christ was here, they didn't go his way either. You hurt, you're going to hurt. You're going to lose loved ones. You'll have people turn against you. All kinds of things that happen. It will be worth it all. Just serve the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, or if you're watching by Internet, we know that thousands of people are watching by internet. I think the last few times it's been five, six, seven thousand people that watch every Sunday night. And I don't know where everybody is or what everybody knows and believes, but I do want you to know this God loves you. He loves you so much. He loves you. You are just important to Him as Abraham was or Moses was or. David in the Old Testament or anybody else. You're important to God. 
And he is working in your life, whether you see it or not. He cares about you, even the little things. But if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust him tonight? All, all that you have to do is just be honest with the Lord. Lord, I'm a sinner. But I believe you died for sinners. You died for me. You paid for my sins. And right now, I will accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And friend, God said if you would trust him, he would save you and give you eternal life. Would you believe it? If you're making that decision, I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you, but right where you're sitting. Say, yes, preacher, that made sense to me, and I'll trust Christ as my Savior. Friend, would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? His own law. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're going to heaven when you die. Is there any part of your life that is off limits to God? Have you told the Lord, no? Are you rebellious? Did you know that God loves his children? He loves us so much. What's the most for us? Would you just right now, the quietness of this moment, just say, Lord, I'm your child. I haven't loved you like I ought to. Maybe, friend, you didn't even think he cared that much. But he does. You are important to him. He wants so much for you. He wants to do so much for you. Because he knows how much time you have left. He wants to use you. Let God have his way with your life. Don't fight him. I was sitting in a service similar to this about 1962 when they sung a song called I Surrender All. Now remember as I listened to that song, I sat there and I cried. I surrender all. Lord, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to debate it with you. I just want to know what is your will and I'll do it. Whatever it is, I'll do it. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us and for this time together. Bless each one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.